0: May I begin? Yeah.
1: Yes, please.
0: Okay. thanks. Then uh, thank you uh, to all of you. Welcome on board again. It's the fourth uh, ISF uh, Connect and uh, a nice opportunity to to meet us. It's not face to face, but uh, it's an opportunity to be together and to share uh, ideas, to share news and so on. Then thanks to be there uh, and to share your time. Uh, as you know, Cassandra is in the south of the hemisphere, very far from, from us in, in Europe. And it's the middle of the night for her. Then uh, thanks to her to keep the technical aspects for us. And of course, thanks also f- uh, to Fiona uh, to uh, uh, propose this uh, uh, fourth uh, ISF Connect. And uh, you you know that the, the, the formula of the ISF Connect is to introduce very shortly uh, the activity. That's my role today. And after that, Fiona will have uh, 25 minutes to explain the topic and uh, propose some question. And uh, I'll be uh, in charge of collecting your questions and to propose the questions to Fiona uh, for the last part of uh, this uh, meeting. And the meeting will be ended at uh, 3 o'clock PM CST uh, time. Then I propose to begin. And thanks again uh, again for your time, Cassandra, Fiona, and all uh, friends from all the world, over the world. Please, the video is up to you, Fiona.
1: Thanks, Mark. So I'm going to share my uh, j- Sorry, sorry. Want.
0: Just yes. just a last, a last yeah. uh, of course, request. Of course. Please, don't Slow speak down. too fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try my best. We need <laughs> subtitles. I will speak slowly. I'm going to share my screen and I'm actually going to stop my video um, just in terms of seeing me, but, but that I can share my screen. And will you tell me that you can see it, Mark, when I share it? Thanks so much. Okay. Right, I can um, Mark, see... you can see that. Yeah.
0: Yes, it's OK. Then I believe uh, everyone is OK. But now I okay. close my uh, microphone. OK,
1: sure. Sure thing. Perfect. So I, I'll, maybe I'll leave this in the corner just as I'm talking through this and just see how that works for everybody and uh, etc. So first of all, I'm really delighted to speak to all of you today um, about uh, design thinking. So it's something that has been a passion of mine for the past five years or so. And essentially with design thinking, it's something that, um, sorry, now I'm just trying to see will this move. Yeah, it's something that basically I've been doing across a number of different areas. So not only in the research domain, but also in the policy domain and in the practice domain. So I've worked typically in the design area um, with non-design professionals. So third level staff and students, but I've also worked with teachers and other professionals in the area. I've brought a number of books to the table and the newest one is going to be out um, next month, um, and that's Threshold Concepts in Physical Education. And on this call, there are a number of colleagues who have been involved in that. So what I want to do with you is to kind of talk you through design thinking, um, and then I'm going to showcase um, how we've been using it in a recent project that is still ongoing, but I'd like you to have a little look at it and see what you think of it. So the first thing I would say to you is, the reason we say that design thinking is a superpower, particularly in the pandemic, is that it's it's founded on human-centred innovation. So it's all about people and what matters to people. And so that's the first thing that's kind of important to take account of. The second thing is if you were to read down through all of these 10 skills, it calls out innovation as being central to the future workforce. And they're now saying in the World Economic Forum that 50% of our workforce is going to have to be upskilled in these areas. And you can see that innovation and all of the things to do with innovation are called out here as the top 10 skills for 2025. And I would suggest beyond that also. So design thinking as an innovation tool is, is absolutely perfect for this. When we're designing, uh, design is kind of interesting in terms of the design thinking, uh, the way we do things. There's a process that we we grab hold of and there's also a mindset. And the mindset is very like Carol Dweck's, um, it's basically a growth mindset. It's quite optimistic, we're okay with failure, we iterate a lot, those types of things. And then there's also the environment in which the design happens. So design thinking, and space are really, really important in terms of how we use that uh, appropriately. The process itself is normally a six stage process, but it's not um, a linear process, it's highly iterative. So we have a phase, which basically has three stages, understand, observe, and point of view. We basically work through the problem. What's the issue we're trying to solve when we're working through, through the particular challenge and in the second half, we're working through what solution we might come up with. So these are really um, steps that you can actually go, move over and back through. You're not basically forced in the design thinking process to just move in a linear fashion through these, okay? So another point to note for these six stages, they actually fit within a double diamond. And the British Design Council in 2005 came up with a diamond structure to explain how these work. And it explains the convergent and divergent aspects to design thinking as a process. So I called out there that three of these different stages are problem space stages. And you're going to note down at the bottom there that 80% of, of that time that you're spending on design is in the problem space. So you don't jump straight into solution space. That's not helpful. And um, you need to really figure out what you've been asked to solve. Once you have done that, and you've moved through your your divergent strategies, you've defined what the actual challenge is, you are then free at that point to move into the solution space. And that typically takes about 20% of the time allotted to you for, for um, for your design challenge, okay? And I think that's helpful, and I spend a lot of my time persuading people to come back into the problem space because humans generally, when they're designing, want to just fix things immediately. And they're often the things that cause problems later. The other thing I'd like to draw your attention to is the levels of design that we engage in. And when we design, um, when things are very, very simple, the types of things we design for, um, we would design quite simple solutions to those. So an example of something which would be a simple uh, task in design would be maybe baking a cake. So you just have the ingredients, you put them together, You make the cake, it's fairly straightforward. When we talk about things that are a little bit more complicated, we're talking about maybe putting things together. Um, For example, building a rocket, building a car, things like that would be complicated design issues. But the one that I'm most attracted to and the one that I'm most interested in working with is actually the complex challenges. So an example of a complex challenge would be raising a child. So once I've raised one child, that does not mean I can raise another child in the same way. I have to actually think differently about it. So it presents complexity for me because I have to think about uh, who are all the stakeholders involved around that particular issue. How are things changing as the child grows up, et cetera, et cetera. So things are always moving and shifting and changing in that type of challenge. So design thinking deals typically with complex challenges. Coronavirus presents a very, very interesting backdrop to what's going on at the moment. And so it forces us to think about that level of complexity. And if we turn to what's going on in our own field at the moment, we actually have two pandemics going on. We have the physical inactivity, sedentary behavior pandemic, crisscrossed with the COVID-19 pandemic. I hear some of you on the call will probably be saying, actually people are being more active now because of COVID, but actually when you look across the broad broad spectrum in the world, that is actually not the case. We still have um, an issue around physical inactivity and sedentary behavior. Other things that are arising to give, uh, I suppose, a backdrop to our own field and what's going on in COVID-19 are the fact that no vaccine means it's very difficult to play and to actually um, involve ourselves in sport. These are some of the top-level headlines that have come out this particular week and in the last two weeks, where sport is now moving behind closed doors, competitions are now being canceled, et cetera, et cetera. So this just gives a picture of one aspect of our field, sport, and and how basically that's been impacted by by the coronavirus. Spectators are another issue, um, and and the fact that we don't really have spectators at events anymore, so that's another issue that we're trying to, to concern ourselves with. And one that really is quite interesting to me, certainly, is the idea of fear versus social hunger. So if we think about it in our own field, the fact that we are really afraid to be with each other because of the virus, um, but we have this absolute social hunger to be together. And these are all very interesting, um, I, as I call them out, backdrops to what's going on for us as a field in COVID-19. And it presents a very, very interesting challenge to us as professionals as to how are we going to grapple with it. And I do feel that design thinking is a space in which that could certainly happen. I want to also kind of highlight to you that often the the solutions that we have um, have been solved in a prior life. So today's problems are often yesterday's solutions. So we have to be ready to always be agile and to be ready to iterate those solutions Um, just to make things better as is in the current circumstance. And it is not good enough to come up with things that just seem to work in all circumstances because that is not the case. We cannot have a cookie cutter response to COVID-19 and to how our field is going to actually get on its feet again in COVID-19. So we need to think differently. So certainly for me, and this is where I'm going to share with you uh, something that we did over the last number of months, is where back in April, there was a lot of angst and frustration around what was happening to sport, physical activity and physical education. And I thought, okay, there is a unique moment for us now to maybe do something a little bit different. So what I decided um, just here in in my my home in, in the South of Ireland was, would there be an opportunity for us to crowdsource ideas for incubation? And often when we are faced with very, very significant problems, uh, we do crowdsource ideas. We, we find ideas maybe that might, might work uh, to solve what's going on, but it's quite rare that we incubate them. And I thought that could be something of interest to many of the people and, and um, different entities in my own network. So what we came up with is this idea called a global design challenge for sport and physical activity. So that is now going at the moment and will finish in April of 2021 and we are going to run another one practically I would say straight away in 21 and as you're listening to how I describe what we've been doing um, and how we've been using design thinking I would like you to consider maybe that you would like to get involved okay so think about that in the back of your head as I go through this so essentially you could decide that you will be an incubator a hacker an educator, a mentor, a judge, or a researcher, or all of them. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what you come up with. So I'm going to walk you through what this looked like, how we built it, um, what we've been doing, and the impact so far of how design thinking has really helped us. Um, I'm going to call out one thing. We have used design thinking not only to design this global design challenge itself but we have also used design thinking as part of the hackathon, okay? So in two different aspects of this. So the idea was born on the 27th of April, 2020. I made a few phone calls. I had a few Zoom calls with various people and I asked a number of people to sit around the table and they became a magnet for other people to come around the table. So we ended up with 22 different groups and entities and significant organizations around the world who wanted to become part of this. Not only did they want to be part of it, they wanted us to help us to build it because it didn't exist apart from a notion at this point. We said before we would take off uh, that we needed to actually start to look and understand the problem. And design thinkers, as I said, always spend time in the problem space and check, are we right in what our hunch is? Um, Is there data to support where we think we should be going, et cetera? So at this point, we knew there was a problem with COVID-19 and sport, physical education and physical activity, but we weren't quite sure what the problem was and we needed to figure it out. So we turned to Salas's work and we looked at the 11 different things that Salas's paper had called out. And we looked at other other research uh, um, entities as well. So these were typical ideas and we had a good look at those to say, okay, are there interesting ideas in there that might help us understand the challenge that was there? We conducted a needs analysis. So the organizations on the platform actually spoke to their grassroots and to other stakeholders to ask what are your burning questions at the moment during COVID-19 for sport, physical education and physical activity. They came up with three intersecting design challenge areas, one around movement, one around space, and one around interactions within the space. They also came up with a number of golden threads that mattered to them, and you can see all of them there, from inclusion right down to physical activity preferences. Okay? So what we did was we decided to collate all of that data, and we collated it into an actual challenge that was meaty enough to actually drive uh, this global design challenge. And I call out the word sustainably Um, as a key word in this challenge. Sustainably redesign sport and physical activity for children and families, the young and the not so young, for participants, spectators, fans and community groups so that it is inclusive, accessible, attainable and fun during the pandemic and afterwards. The word sustainable was very important to us because we situated that challenge within the sustainable development goals, but particularly within the Kazan Action Plan that calls out a number of those goals. So we made it very interesting um, in terms of what perhaps a global view of what we were doing uh, would be, and these are important to our area, this Kazan Action Plan. We wanted to see whatever we were going to to, uh, create or do through this challenge that it would speak directly to uh, the Kazan Action Plan in particular. So it was a very, very scary process. Pat Fitzpatrick is on the call and Pat can understand that. He may still be in therapy after it, but we were building the plane while flying, which is a bit scary. It was exactly that, building this entity as we went. It ended up being six different stages. So we launched in June. We had a registration uh, period with a lot of social media kind of, uh, kind of uh, I suppose, uh, input at that point. And then we had this very, very exciting moment in June, which was the hackathon. And a hackathon for anyone who doesn't know what it is, is where people hack or try to solve a challenge in a very, very fast time frame using the design thinking steps that I talked about earlier. So we're talking about a 72 hour period to look at the challenge, to develop a solution to the challenge and to pitch that challenge. We had 187 teams involved in that competition on a platform called DevPost and DevPost is the largest hackathon site in the world and they gave us their platform for free. We then gathered a number of expert judges who looked at all of those entries um, and they adjudicated that 37 of those entries warranted moving forward. Those entries were then moved through a matching process over two months and those were matched with particularly five entities on our platform. Um, So they included UEFA, and they were also UNESCO, TAFISA, and I know that ERA is also involved with them, and also there were uh, Sport Ireland um, entities within Sport Ireland that were also involved, and others. So I'm just calling out the five top ones. So they're all in incubation phase at the minute, okay? We also decided we better organize ourselves a little bit so we felt that for the Global Design Challenge that the citizens were the most important. The design teams were wrapped around those. We had mentors or dream weavers and they typically came from, and um, they were experts in business and economics and engineering and other areas. Um, and many of them from my own university who came back as alumni to help. Um, and also there were the partners or the incubators. Okay, So we organized ourselves as such. We then had a very interesting um, uh, call with UNESCO, the World Health Organization and the Commonwealth Secretariat. That came very early. In June, they said they wanted to be observers of this particular global design challenge. They were intrigued to see how design thinking could be used in this new way. And they are still observing us and seeing what we're doing. We also, because we're educators, wanted to educate and build capability in a couple of areas. So the teams that were hacking, they received uh, training through uh, the design thinking process. They understood what that was through the webinar and also uh, Judy Russell um, developed a pitching resource for them. So we tried to equip them uh, so that they could do the best possible um, solution during their hacking period in June. So with the Global Design Challenge, um, we also developed a community of practice because we felt it was important to build this global network of teams, of partners, and of mentors. And that has become a very, very interesting space, uh, which has been fascinating. And I'll I'll show you some of the impacts of that. We used way too many platforms, my goodness me, uh, from DevPost all the way down to Zoom. They were all free. It helped a lot, but it was crazy. And this was one of our kind of, I suppose, reflective moments where we said the next time we do this, we need to make this a bit tighter. We're in incubation phase at the moment, as I've said, Um, and the impact at the moment, I'm just going to call that out briefly for you. So the first thing is, this is a snapshot of the social media interest in it. So in the period from registration through the hackathon, we had 80.5 thousand impressions on Twitter and all of these people visiting um, and and seeing what we were up to in terms of the the Facebook page, but typically the tweets, they were really, really attracted to the tweets, et cetera, just in terms of what was going on. We developed and built a social media campaign um, and that was very powerful. And we had an actual proper communication plan that that was actually the backdrop to that. The stats, over six months, we had 187 teams hacking, 37 finalists. Of those, we nominated eight as winners. At the moment, we have 19 teams incubating in in those organizations around the world. And we are hopeful that by April, we will see some success. Forty countries were involved across 12 time zones. We had 12 expert mentors, 22 partners. There were 43 people involved on the organization team all of whom, if we were to collate it, it was circa 10,000 hours. And then we had our three international observers, UNESCO, World Health Organization, and Commonwealth Secretariat. The impacts of it so far that we've measured, the professional network between all of the, the mentors, the teams and the partners has been quite astonishing. Uh, call-outs have been that they've never they never had the opportunity to reach directly to a partner, So for example, teams are speaking directly with UEFA or directly with UNESCO or TAFISA, or ISCA. Also the other really nice thing that happened here because of this design thinking enterprise was we forced a network of, um, that was basically crossing sectors, crossing sport, business, education, and other sectors. We built design capability amongst all of the, um, the, the participants. And that wasn't just those who were hacking in the teams, it's also those people who are involved in the actual process of building the Global Design Challenge. The volunteerism, people just rolled up their sleeves, they had great fun during the, the actual um, the, the effort. The fact that we have these 19 teams um, that are being incubated and that now UNESCO want us to map our projects onto their Kazan SDGs. That's a, a really nice, I suppose, impact from this. So I'm going to share with you some of the projects that came through because I think you might be intrigued to see how did they answer that big challenge. So the winner was Inner Ethics. They came up with a well-being quotient, so a personal well-being quotient, uh, which is something now that is being considered by UNESCO. So it's being incubated by UNESCO at the moment. It's joining a suite of, of um, I suppose, um, quotient ratings from community quotient ratings all the way back to this one, which is individual and they see it as being part of a kaleidoscope where uh, well-being can be measured from individual to community, particularly in COVID-19, but also outside it. The second one was one called Freebay, and Freebay came second, and that was from, I should mention the first prize, and it's nothing to do with me, was Irish. It was an international judging panel, and they chose an Irish winner. The second one was uh, Freebay, and this was from Canada. And this was really intriguing because actually there were two innovations in this particular project. And this project is basically where um, it's a web application that allows um, a sharing of resources, green spaces, and maybe um, I would say funding resources for families to try and keep them active. And so that's one element to their innovation. Their second element to the innovation, which was really, really cool, was that they had an impact tool called Bingo, And that became quite attractive to one of our partners. And so one of our partners is actually working closely with FreeBay to exploit both of their ideas and and to see how that goes. The one that came third then was Playdate. Now Playdate was fascinating because Playdate was across, I think 10 to 12 time zones. So they were meeting at all crazy times to do their hack and they had great fun doing it. But Playdate was fascinating for physical educators because it was about how teachers and students can build Events or educational uh, moments together. Uh, really exciting. And I know that the European Educational Research Association is working with Amerigo on this particular one. Um, and he was the lead of that project. I'm going to flag two more with you just for your interest. Extra space, how to use space in your home or in your environment during COVID 19. So you basically pop in the dimensions of the space you're trying to work with, and it will actually send back. What types of physical activity you could do within that space and it can be indoors or outdoors. And this one is very very nice, UNESCO have snapped this one up as well and this one is to do with human rights and it's to do with developing um, uh, basically a mechanism of actually working out the how can organizations measure um, the human rights element of their work and the impact of that. So it works from two angles and um, preparing and protecting the organization to make sure they're not in violation of them, and also making sure that they plan to ensure that they are empowering um, that that particular agenda at all times. Okay, so very, very interesting. So I've presented five to you there. There are another 32 of them um, on, on, on the website, and I'll show you that in a moment. How have we been tracking them? We've been using an interface called Trello, and Trello has been basically quite interesting. So we have an innovation funnel, and every single project, this is just a snapshot from an early version of it. Every project has a card on it. And that card basically contains all the information about that project. And um, as the project becomes matched in the matchathon phase, it then has a, a semi contract with the actual um, incubator. And then it begins to move across the funnel from scoping and research, business case development, all the way down to live success. Okay, so they're in the funnel at the moment. That funnel closes in, well, so semi-closes in April. We may snowball projects forward. We'll see how that actually goes. For anyone who wants to see more on, on these projects, I'd invite you to go to DevPost and I'm really happy for um, this particular presentation to be shared with, with people afterwards. And uh, so you can click on them, you can click in and every single one of them has a pitching video so you get to understand the projects. I would encourage anybody listening to this please reach out to the project owners. They are really interested in networking, even if they're in an incubation phase, they really would value your help. And particularly um, people like ourselves who are are experts in the field. So we have the next version of this iterating at the moment, and we are learning a lot from the first time out. Um, And I am encouraging anyone listening here to say, okay, do I like the look of this design thinking idea? Would I like to innovate? Would I like to respond in a positive way to what's going on at the moment for our field and see can I help in any way? Would I like to to form any of these roles? Would I like to put myself forward? So that's one thing I'd ask you to think about. And if you're interested in developing innovation kind of techniques and capabilities around design or data or digital fluencies, I would ask you to consider this fully online course, which has been just launched by our university. That's what I'm teaching on today, actually, and see what you you think about it, because it might be something you would like to sign up for when we run it again next year. So if this is intriguing to you on that program, you will learn about design thinking. You will learn about data literacy and digital literacy. Um, And the other thing I would say to you as well, is this is something that may intrigue you. And you can see behind me, probably, there's so many books and Lego and crazy things behind me. These are all the resources that are available to you. If you are intrigued by this, um, and this may be a follow-up event that we might do in ISIP Connect, I would be very happy to run a very short training for an hour with people if if they were interested. And we could maybe feed that information back to Cassandra if that's of interest. I could run something quite short to give you a flavor of what design thinking is is like in action. And that might certainly help you. Um, So I thank you for for listening. I'm looking forward to your questions. And I want to finish with one small thing. I'm just very conscious at the moment, I've been following uh, Twitter just in terms of of, uh, what we're all doing as a profession and how we're trying to connect with each other. I think lots of organizations are doing great things. ICEP have ICEP Connect. But I want to introduce you to a new concept that we we're thinking and we are going to launch now called ICEP Connect Plus. And I suppose Mark, myself, Atilio and, and the members of ICEP feel that there is a gap at the moment and that lots of people out there are publishing and uh, like whether it's articles, books, reports, and nobody's getting to hear about them. So we're developing um, another aspect to ISEP Connect, which will allow for maybe a launch platform for something like that. So I'm thinking about Ash, I know you're on the call, and Ash, you have a book coming out around models-based practice in December, on the 14th of December. I know Risto Martinen and uh, Aaron Senteo and Tom Quornby have another book out in the the new year. Uh, So there are going to be moments where we could do some publication launches. We invite the team or people involved in the publication to talk about their work, explain why it matters for practice, and maybe they may have follow on work that they want to encourage people to become involved in. So we create two spaces in ICIP Connect, something like I've been sharing now, but then also a possibility where we can meet the authors, we can have discussions, and we can query what's going on and get excited about the dissemination of our work. So this is something that we're very excited to tell you about today. And just stay tuned basically to the ISF website for the the formal launch of that okay so i'm going to stop sharing now um and just go to this guy and stop sharing okay i have no idea whether that was 25 minutes or 25 hours oh, we'll see how you was. are
0: Fiona you are right on time you respected oh, uh, strictly the time. Then now it's up to us to ask you some question or propose some comments. Then uh, the floor is to uh, to the, the participant. Then maybe if you have a question, uh, please activate your uh, the sign. And then uh, open the microphone and ask your question. Because at the moment, uh, I don't receive uh, uh, requests questions from uh, from the chat tool, so we, we we can go there. Do you have something?
2: You I'm going to start. It. I think it's a very great <laughs> question, but the first question okay. is always the hardest. Um, so I'm going to ask a silly question. Um, well no. done, <laughs> It's very very. Interesting. Can't hear me. Yeah,
1: yeah. Have
2: you got perfectly. me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, it's very, very interesting to see. I saw it on social media, on social media, but like lots of people didn't get a chance to engage. Um, I guess, how do we scale this down as opposed to scale this up, so that we're getting students to think yeah. about um, how to use it in teacher education, and therefore how to use it in their wow. classrooms when they're tackling curriculum problems.
1: So that's, that's that wasn't really a question I was going to ask.
2: I suddenly had a good question. <laughs>
1: But no, no. but it's like, and you might have a follow-up one, right, but this, what, what we've done is, right, if I, if I speak to the Global Design Challenge, Global Design Challenge has really come from grassroots. So this is something that we, we do as part of creativity and innovation on programs uh, where I work in U- University College Cork. So we teach them through those six uh, stages, but we do it with many challenges. So one that's going on at the moment for, for the cohort in UCC, is developing a physical activity intervention for the university students during COVID. And they're working through that agile challenge this semester, and they'll have a Dragon's Den event then at the end of the semester, where they present to, uh, to the people in the university that that matters to. Um, and we will see where that goes, but that's one suggestion. So uh, what we would see is that's one grassroots way of training and building capability and that inno- innovation capability, I called it earlier. The other idea that we have, Ashley, is we're trying to literally extract the agnostic model from what we've just done. Because we actually feel that that six step thing that we created, building the plane while flying, could apply to anything. You could literally say, we're going to do a design challenge on, and it could be a sport, it could be physical education, it could be models-based practice. You can literally apply this in a micro or a macro way. You can do it whatever way you want. You just need to follow and um, as I called out there, what's your process? Are you maintaining this really nice mindset which you have to grow into, by the way? Um, and how are you using the space to do that? It can be done virtually. We did all of this during COVID. It's uh, everything I'm doing with design at the moment is online, so it's perfectly manageable. And um, so the, in answer to your question, this can absolutely be extracted and we're doing it at the moment as we speak. Yep. Thanks, Ash. Thank you.
0: Maybe Mark. David, David have, uh, maybe a, a comment. Uh, something to add.
1: Hey, David.
2: Uh, hi, everyone. Um, yes, just, in re- just to add what Fiona said there, and Dylan's added a really interesting question on, on the chat. It, it can work with uh, teacher educators and students. Um, so for example, in Wales, we're using a design thinking process with PE educators to start getting them thinking about the problems around curriculum design, um, but without calling it curriculum design. So um, from our experience, the really nice thing about design thinking is gets them to think about existing problems, but through different lenses. But importantly, it gives them a voice in the process. Um, so yeah, it, it works really nicely as a, as a, as a process of learning for, for educators and it, how it works we don't know yet, is it having an impact? We think so because our students are asking some really interesting questions around their own experiences at this point.
1: Thanks, David. Because what it's what, nice to see it. So what I say about that is that that um, basically, what you're trying to get them to do and to think, it, it's not just the challenges you're setting them. It's like what Mary James would call the learning as becoming. You want them to become this design thinking, designerly inter, individual so that everything they do, everything they approach, is in this particular way. They always begin with empathizing with the people it matters to. And once you empathize with those people, then you, you get a better understanding of what the issues are, and you're actually designing then for what matters. Um, and I don't want to jump in there because I know, Mark, you're managing the chat, so I let you do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. then Sorry, uh, apologies. Uh, Lars, <laughs> Lars from Eindhoven uh, can share their experience in, uh, in that university.
1: Lars, would you share because you've been doing you 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 live this every day in Fontis. I mean, that's what makes me so excited about your work. So maybe you share what you're doing.
3: Um, well, perhaps living it every day is a bit overstated, but um, <laughs> uh, we uh, at our university, especially for our bachelor students, uh, we have them do educational design research as their thesis research. Um, and we keep that very small, so um, it's not like a, a master's research and it's not generalizable in any way. But for example, we have them um, design um, uh, some uh, new curriculum, sometimes models-based curriculum. Um, a curriculum is too, too big a word maybe, but we have them design uh, lesson lesson plans, uh, units uh, for, the, for the, the schools they are uh, doing their placement in. Um, and they developed this also using a, a design approach. So uh, as I mentioned in the chat, uh, educational design research is something that has been written quite a lot about. Um, there are a lot of different models. So we have uh, spent quite a lot of time figuring out what is the model which works best for us. Um, and one of the things that, that really struck me in the presentation of Fiona is uh, what you stated Fiona about spending time in the the, the problem phase uh, because I recognize that uh, very much from our students they also have to uh, try to jump to do the solution uh, at once I and mean, try to teach them to analyze the problem uh, analyze uh, uh, how do you say that um, uh, the requirements that the the end users i.e the, the PE teachers have for the product product that they are developing etc etc so that's I think that's a very, uh, that helped us uh, a lot in thinking about what kind of uh, research that our uh, bachelor PE students uh, should be doing. So we are very excited uh, about that. And if if anyone wants to know more about how we do that, then uh, you can send me an email or anything.
1: Yeah, because it's it's kind of, um, what you just called out there, it is a form of research, what we're doing, you see. And the pieces for me, and I'm doing this a good while now, the pieces that were always missing for me were, how are you using the data? Where is the data coming from? That it's not just based on hunches and going in without being informed. So having this data fluency, I would call it, but not only that, being able to to manage the digital environment as well. So where are you getting your information? How are you communicating it? So having that D cubed prism to view what you're doing in design. It's not just design for design's sake. It has to matter and it has to be, like you you saw how we built our design challenge. We didn't just go, oh, there's a problem. There's your challenge. It actually is more convincing if you spend time building where it's coming from, really empathizing. Um, and the other bit is checking in with those end users. And I hate that phrase end user, but the people that matters to is what I'm saying. Who does this actually matter to? And it matters to citizens, to people. And if you can get it right, then you're 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 onto something. But for certainly for me, the, the game changer for me is thinking of it as a research enterprise with impact.
0: Mm-hmm. So the
1: incubation thing is really important. Yeah. Thanks, Lars. Uh, really helpful.
0: Yes. um uh, uh, ask uh, ask another question about how to implement concretely that uh, approach and uh, to, to leave the, the theoretical aspect and to, to jump into the practice. Uh, do you have some uh, ideas, some uh, information about how to, to, to implement such approach in, a, in a, a, a concrete situation?
1: What I do, and this was, would be what I would do if I was going to run a short session with everybody, I, I push you straight into design immediately. Uh, we we learn the theory as we go, it's a praxis model. So we would start with a design challenge where literally we're going to move through the stages. Um, I would give very strong handrails at the beginning so that people would, would be able to use uh, maybe particular processes or templates to help them understand why they're doing it. Um, and as they get more confident, and because we're teachers, we're really comfortable with this. So once you explain that the understand phase of this is all about trying to really interrogate the problem, teachers naturally know where to go to find as much as they can about something. So if you're doing a semantic analysis on the problem, if you're doing stakeholder mapping, all those types of skills, we're very naturally adept at doing that as teachers. So you you build that repertoire quite quickly. Then you move on to observe and it's all about interviewing skills, photo voice, card sorting, all the techniques we would know as researchers. So what I'd say to you is, yeah, it, with anything new, you always kind of hold on tight to the theory. Uh, my, my thing as, as we are practitioners and we, we work in a very practical field is the more applied the learning is, the better for this. And what you're trying to persuade people is it's all right to make a mistake and it's all right to get it wrong because you can iterate it. And actually, you're going to learn way more in your design process when you get it wrong than when you actually get it right. So creating an atmosphere where you have a safety net for people, helping them to move through the process and lots of questions, encouraging curiosity, all of those types of things. And I would call it the spine of the of the actual experience will be those six stages. That's the spine that they can hold on to for dear life. And as they're going through it, they start to become a little bit more confident and we ramp up the intensity of the challenge so the first time it might be something very very small uh, design something for your friend Uh, it can be something like that then it might be something a little bit more important it could be design a lesson for your next uh, basketball class the next time it could be a short course for physical education so you build up their confidence as they go through it and and there's lots of meta layers then as you move through it as well in terms of use of technology pedagogy how you're building the, the pedagogy as you move through it
0: And if if we follow Julie Pearson's comment, then it seems that many different people are using similar approach, uh, using different names or different models. But the the main principle is to give, to provide uh, a a space where people can share ideas and try to develop uh, aspect. For example, it could be uh, linked to uh, action research and then where you are Starting from the problem, and you try to find a solution, and to uh, in involve the practitioner in in this uh, approach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then so. uh, Aria uh, from Finland uh, proposed to uh, ask if it's possible to use such uh, approach in uh, with uh, adolescents uh, in in uh, in school. Then uh, maybe yes. you have some experience uh, on that topic.
1: I have. And we we did it when we were working on digital well-being, because what we felt was if we didn't, if we went in ourselves and decided we were going to research that topic in in a school and develop um, a pedagogy to teach it, we would be working from top down. So we thought we would actually use that design thinking process with the teenagers. So we encouraged them to gather data or an understanding of their peers as to what was going on. And then we worked with them to co-develop what the pedagogy might look like. So it is absolutely ARIA, absolutely can be used. The main difference between it and I would say normal research is you begin with the people. You don't write your research proposal in a very separate way from the the cohort you're trying to uh, research. You see them as being the starting point. You begin having uh, the, the conversations with them to make sure you're right. You define what, you, what the challenge is with them and through what they've said to you, and then off you go. And that's what design thinking forces. It forces, you begin with the people. You don't begin with your hunch about what's going on. Yeah, really, really important.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to ask to Alexander uh, from Nyesh to, to ask the question about uh, the people who could work in such uh, a project. Yeah, thank you, Mark, and thank you, Fiona. Alexander, great to see
1: you. Great to see you. (laughs) Great to see you, yeah.
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, My question is, yeah, I've wrote this question, but uh, it was more about the fact that I'm not really aware of uh, uh, the the details of this project. But is, at the end of the project, uh, something that is uh, made to facilitate the transition between this global thinking approach and uh, the dissemination of this project in different places, different uh, countries, because those projects are really nice. Are really the, the five that you presented were really nice. I think that they could be really uh, well developed in different countries. And is there a platform or something where uh, it could be a facilitator for people to get together and just uh, make things more simple to Implement things in their in their countries in their uh, local uh, place. Yeah,
1: yeah, and we have we have done that a little bit, right? In ter- mm-hmm. like if we think about the big organizations like TAFISA and ISCA, they are the platforms for those smaller organizations. So we all of the projects had a chance to pitch to them, and then they have been grabbed and are being done at grassroots. Okay, mm-hmm. now I think yeah. your question is more around what else could we do to grab and help those projects is that what you're saying as a profession yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's the point and I, I, and I that's for me like all those fantastic ideas great and um, and the organizations have grabbed them what what we found was was difficult for us and we we have to figure it alex is we have mm-hmm. to figure out how in god's earth are we going to get them from uh, this brilliant idea um which for some of them is quite sophisticated to get help mm-hmm. from isf and to get help from other research organizations, because certainly for me, many of those projects didn't consider the actual formal research part of their project, the Mm -hmm. impact bit, we were Mm -hmm. building it in for them, but they didn't consider it. And what I would Mm -hmm. really like for the next iteration of Global Design Challenge is that that piece is called out immediately and that almost they have mentoring on the side from people like you, Alexander, from other people from mm-hmm. our organizations to help them with that bit because that's the missing bit often in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the bit where it, it it creates the massive impact. If you can say okay. such a project measured itself, it did the following. We've had to do a lot of work building that in ourselves. We didn't naturally have mentorship from organizations like ISF or ERA to, to help us with that or Cereps, places like that. So that's certainly a consideration because for me, the difference with Global Design Challenge, it's not just grabbing ideas, it's incubating them for in- impact. That's the point of the exercise. Um, and certainly what you just said there is reinforcing what we we know needs to happen. Um, and we're mm-hmm. still building the plane because it's gonna be interesting. The wings are just about on. So we're, we're going to, we will be iterating this um, starting directly after Christmas, we will have sessions where we iterate it, and the more the merrier, the more people who want to help the better. Um, but okay. it will be a more formal project at that point, I would suggest. It has been entirely on volunteer vapor up to now, which okay. has been a bit crazy. Yeah. OK, good idea. Yeah. You can count on us
3: for this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, Alexander. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Yeah. Then, Tony Sweeney, uh, maybe, do, do you have uh, a, a comment? Yeah? Is Tony there, still there?
4: Yeah apologies okay my, my has been a little bit uh, in and out so I was really interested in the questions that uh, Dylan uh, was asking and Julie is in the same context as was primary physical education but I suppose my question was wondering about we have students currently working um, on action research projects on classroom interventions and I don't know enough about design thinking but I really think this would be a lovely way to engage pupils in that i suppose um difficult learning space where, you know that the, the the swampy lowlands i suppose but um i'd love to get fiona's perspective on whether she thinks this approach in a simple way could be an effective research project that could be done in partnership with primary school kids
1: yeah absolutely we could have we could have a layer within global design challenge that's specifically for young people i i just we want, and I as I say, Pat Fitzpatrick is on this call, we just want to ignite um, ideas from every age group. I don't care, like we, what we did was it was a free competition. So schools can enter the competition, classes can enter the competition, there's no limit to that. Um, and I want to kind of excite them because you saw that innovation is called out as this key thing that people need to be able to do We have the um, Together for Design report from the government of Ireland, where we have so few designers in Ireland. We we are embarrassing in terms of the numbers of design thinkers in Ireland. So we need the younger, the better for our pipeline. The younger, the better that they start to see this as a way of living actually. And the way that they can be empowered because I sense very much Tony at the moment in working with young people and in, in universities. They are really struggling at the moment with the lack of power they have over the situation and can you imagine if you were to say well actually here's an avenue and you could be noticed by a partner that might help you and bring you somewhere uh, in terms of your project and your idea and I think you like they can if you think about um, say primary school children they know their world best and they will be best able to design the primary school physical education experience themselves actually if we were to let them to it they will be very curious they will not be afraid they're not afraid of failing either actually hopefully that hasn't been you know that hasn't been an issue for them so they're ideal for the curiosity space and it would be super to have this kind of avenue so yeah that would be a gorgeous layer that can be built in absolutely no and i question. think
4: i think thanks phil i think it really talks to the uh, the key competencies of the new draft primary curriculum framework that we're looking at a sort of a, a broader problem solving type approach where innovation and and, and design fits. So, yeah, I'm not really, I suppose, thinking in terms of the project, I'm being selfish here, but I'm thinking of the relevance of this currently for children who are, you know, meeting their student teacher and how are we going to realise PE under the context? I think it's so relevant and so
1: useful. Thanks. It is no problem. Lovely to talk to you.
4: Thank
0: you. Good. Um, I I had a question about uh, the the fact that at the moment that uh, global uh, design challenge is mainly and maybe only uh, gathering people from uh, English native uh, countries Uh, and maybe it's a division of the the community because there are other countries uh, who are speaking other uh, languages and it should be so nice to have uh, international or inter-languages exchanges because the culture are not exactly the same. And it could be very helpful and uh, a real enrichment to have such uh, exchanges. Do you have an idea about how it could be possible to to make that link between the English speaker people and other languages?
1: Well, we we actually did have that, Mark. We had one partner on our platform who's uh, Spanish speaking, mm-hmm. so he brought the global design challenge to South America and to all Spanish speaking countries worldwide. Um, so that was super. We we also had um, colleagues from Brazil and from uh, from Asia, so we had them from all over the world. I think the only place that we we had where we had mentoring from um, and judging from was India, but we didn't have teams from India. And we didn't have teams from from Russia, but everything else seemed to be more or less covered off. We do Mm -hmm. see a huge opportunity to what you're saying, to really make this a multilingual um, space for people from everywhere could actually have that that great idea with support. So I think we can do better. But we, we did make reasonable inroads, but I think we could do better on that front to make it properly global, as you call it yeah Mm -hmm. and I think what was most interesting was developing countries were also heavily involved in this one they were Mm -hmm. because of the UNESCO uh, observership they they actually became involved which was great yep Uh,
0: then I'm sure that the incubator could be could comes could come from different countries different part of the world and of course uh, if uh, some people are developing a project uh, an ID in one country it could it could serve in other many countries and then yes. it it would be so interesting to to promote such international and intercultural uh, relationships yeah
1: yes yeah and that's 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 the 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 winning projects were ones that could actually work anywhere that was one of the the i suppose the criteria that we looked at as a as a judging panel and the other piece i suppose in in reflection as to how this will work better It's really the funding mechanism for those projects that are winners or or finalists, making sure they have that and having very, very strong mentorship throughout the process. We felt that actually in the next iteration, there's a few improvements that can happen. Certainly around the funding, uh, the project management being a more formal process um, and, and basically making sure that impact is measured throughout we couldn't do it as volunteers but it is something that we need to build into our own design of global design challenge yeah
0: yes at, at the moment everything is uh, based on a voluntary approach everything yeah
1: everything yeah
0: everything
1: everything, like 10000 hours 10000 hours of volunteer time
0: yeah okay yeah. and
1: it was because somebody they wanted to help they wanted to do something about what was going on in our in our profession
0: Maybe it's better like this because it's uh, like intrinsic motivation. The yeah. people are there and they want to share, they want to to help the other uh, for free because they are interested and uh, everyone gains something because uh, I receive information, I give some information and everybody is growing. And maybe it's yeah. a, a very interesting aspect in our uh, nowadays world uh, where everyone wants to receive something then here it's more collaborative uh, approach and maybe a a new way to work and uh, well but maybe I am an old uh, dreamer
1: no no and I I agree the volunteer like that service ethic is a really important thing to have the things that we Mm -hmm. do think need funding are things around like trying the project out, maybe building if they've, if they've designed a product and they need to iterate it. They, they might need some funding to, to do that. So certain aspects will need it and there, there is a need for a project manager. But I don't think anything else would change. It has to rely on the volunteer fuel to keep it going because that was the beautiful part of it. Uh, that was the astonishing bit of it, actually. Yeah. How, how The energy from the group
0: and and of course maybe the design thinking approach could focus on projects projects that are that can be uh, implemented for for free or with very few budget and then uh, it's important because it's new ideas it could work everywhere and so on yes yep. absolutely okay
1: because is what we want
0: Yes, I believe that time is uh, now arrived to, to close this uh, this session. Then uh, be sure that we will come back with the, the new ISF Connect Plus that um, uh, Fiona yes. mentioned. Okay, and uh, it's uh, a project, I believe, uh, and we believe that it would be uh, useful for many people. Then it's up to us now to uh, implement uh, that project. And uh, of course, there will be order ISF connect in the next months. Uh, at the end of January, it will be something about COVID. And then uh, in February, we will have some something about the Asian uh, Sport Pedagogy Association, then uh, you'll be informed about all these aspects. And thanks again, for everyone, Cassandra, I hope that you uh, recorded everything, and of course, we will we will be back to all of you uh, in order to uh, provide information about uh, this uh, uh, this session. Uh, Cassandra, uh, upload the information on the on the ISF website then you can go there uh, and, of course, speak about these initiatives uh, of, uh, from ISF and share with your colleagues everywhere. Thank you and good luck. Take care of you.
1: Thank you and stay safe. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Cassandra, again. Thank you. Bye, Atilio. Bye, everyone. Bye.